Welcome to the Homo Schedule, where we're corrupting your children into celebrating their wins and being proud of the journey. I'm Liv, and I'm lesbian in charge of paperclips. And I'm Jasmine, the CEO of <laughs> fucking Liv's mom. <laughs> <laughs> Is that okay? <laughs> Can I say that? Well, listen, our moms are three-dimensional autonomous beings with different needs. <laughs> Uh, um, let's review the minutes from last week's meeting, why don't we? Liv, what's going on? Okay, so a friend of mine sent me a sign-up link for Raya, and I've been- Yay! No, don't congratulate me on something I oh. haven't done because I've been staring at it and I can't- I haven't signed up and I can't do it. Oh my it. god. Okay, first of all, sign up. Second of all, <laughs> I forgot that I meant to also send you a link, so I'm going to also send you a friend pass, so it's double speed. Why are you scared of this? I don't know. I, I've never liked it. I ha- okay, I had Tinder once for three days in 2016, and then I panicked and deleted it. Okay, but Tinder is also not the vibe for you. No, I feel like I don't Tinder's think not for you. I think Raya might be for you. Hinge might be for you. I'm so scared. And you can't have one bad experience and let that color the rest of your experiences, good sire. Mm. I'm afraid. What are you af- Let's get to the bottom of this. Okay. Here we are therapizing one another. Okay. What are you afraid of? The idea of going on a date with a stranger doesn't make me feel comfortable and never okay. has. Some friends of mine, like, it's like a social muscle for them. It's like fun. It's like a fun activity. Mm-hmm. And it's never felt that way to me. And I think historically my default has been single comfortably. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, if I meet someone that's nice, but like, I don't, like, I don't need to. But then it's like, okay, that's lovely. But what happens when you're not meeting anybody for like ages and ages and ages? So Mm -hmm. now I'm in this position where it's like, okay, so this is a muscle I've never used and have never wanted to use. And now I don't know how I feel about it at all. That's totally fair. All of that makes sense. I have questions. I have thoughts. Okay. Question. Are you excited at all at the thought? Uh, yeah, I think, I think meeting people would be nice. I think having experiences is something that I'm excited about. Yeah. So that's, that's a good starting place actually. Okay, that's good. I want to validate you, validate (laughs) your experiences, validate how you feel. These are my thoughts. You use the word muscle. So think about it if you've like never rock climbed before, but you're Mm -hmm. trying it for the first time. You're going to be really bad at it because you've never (laughs) used those muscles. And that's okay. If you're into rock climbing, you're going to have to like start doing it, you know, first once a week and then a couple times a week and slowly you'll build those muscles. So that's normal. That's okay. Mm -hmm. My other thought is I want to remind you that you're an adult and you're in charge. There's this idea of what dating is supposed to look like or what it's supposed to be, but that's just an idea. It's a myth. You get to decide. And so if you want to make sure that your first couple dates with a certain person look a certain way or there are certain boundaries you don't want to be crossed, you can do that. That's up to you. Mm, You can make this a really comfortable, safe, fun experience, totally designed for you. And whatever that means, like you know I can be a hoe. So sometimes <laughs> I get on the app and I'm a hoe that day. Other times there are people that we texted for three weeks before we ever met up because mm. that's what made us both feel comfortable. And then there was like an emotional intimacy before we ever met up in person. And that's what worked for the two of us. Whatever works for you is perfect and you get to decide. So just remember that. Yeah, I guess it feels like I'm beginning the process of figuring out what works for me. That's great. That's scary, but it's also exciting. Yeah. And also remember, you could show up on a date and leave. That yeah, that's what's that meme where it's like you if it sucks, hit the bricks. Like you can you can just leave. <laughs> you can. It's a very empowering thing. How are you? I'm good. That makes me want to tell the story. Please, I've told you this story, right? I think so. This is the story of Charcuterie Kate 
I okay. should call her Charcuterie Kate. Okay. So Kate and I, <laughs> we met on Raya last summer. We messaged for like three weeks. Like I said, it was perfect. It was exactly what I was looking for because she was already in a relationship, an open poly relationship, just looking for like women to date and take on dates and have fun with on the side. And I wasn't looking for anything serious. I just wanted fun. Good. And so... We text for like three weeks and we exchange these very long like paragraph texts that are very emotionally intimate, getting to know each other as lesbians are known to do. Mm, We love that. We had never spoken on the phone. And one day she's like, can I call you? And it was late at night and I was in my bed and I was like, sure. And the whole conversation, she's like, oh my gosh, your voice is so sexy. Like you're so beautiful. I just want to, I just want to take you to a park and I just want to spoil you. I just want to lavish you with compliments and hand feed you charcuterie. And I was like, "Mm." okay, okay, weird, awkward. I'm vegan. Like I I can't have charcuterie, but you can feed me grapes. And she's like, oh, that's all I want. I just want to lavish you and you're just so beautiful. You're so gorgeous. I just want to hand feed you grapes. I was like, kind of weird. So into it. Let's do it. Wait, I'm obsessed with this. (laughs) So we set a date. But in the back of my mind, I was like, why did all of that sound so familiar? That's so familiar. So I went to her (laughs) her Raya bio and the bio said, Kate, open poly relationship, looking for women to lavish with compliments and hand feed charcuterie. I was like, okay. Yeah, she was not kidding about that. <laughs> she wasn't kidding and she wasn't subtle. That's <laughs> very specific. I want to be fed grapes in a park. Right, okay. So I'm like down. Then the day comes and I'm feeling a little flirty, feeling a little kinky. So I text her, I was like, I need you to tell me what to wear. I need you to dress me. And she's like, okay, I'm going to be doing some cottage core. If you could come in some cottage core play. And then I went... Is this going to be like a weird slave thing? Like for a second I was like, is this about to get badly kinky? So I turned all of my locations on with all my friends. I arrive. She has the blanket spread out. She has the basket as the whole thing. I lay down. I'm just waiting for her to put grapes in my mouth. Never does. All of this talk and didn't put one item of food in my mouth. What? All talk, no follow through. And then there's more to this story, but it's a little more R-rated. I don't know if that's what this podcast is about, but it ended up being a very fun, short love affair. I wrote two songs about her, which will be on my EP next year. Hello. Plug, plug, plug. (laughs) But yeah, so much talk, zero follow through. See, I think that's maybe what I'm afraid of, is that someone is going to promise to feed me grapes and then isn't going (laughs) to do it. Well, if you match with Kate, I'll say hi. Say hi for me. And um, just know that it's all a lie. And Kate, if you're listening to this, I would still love to be your friend, dude. Like, text me back. <laughs> anyway, so with all of that said, uh, what's on the agenda for today? Oh, my God. On this iconic episode, we are talking to Leo Shang. <laughs> we love Leo. We, we're big fans. Leo Shang is a Chinese-American actor and activist known for playing Michael Lee on the L word Generation Q. Generation Q. I'll never get over that. Leo came out as trans when he was 12 and started his social transition in middle school. Later on, he publicly documented his transition online. His activism has centered around the narratives of trans people, particularly trans people of color, authentic representation in media, and deconstructing gendered systems. Liv, how do you know Leo? 
We uh, started following each other on social media a little while back and it was just kind of like, a, hello, hi, 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 one of those like <laughs> acquaintanceships. And um, I was always looking forward to getting to know him better and talk to him more. So like this was such a treat. I did not know Leo. I just thought I did because now I do. Yeah, <laughs> But totally. I didn't before the episode. But big fan, beautiful person and excited for you all to hear. It was such a treat talking to him. Let's enter it into the record. <laughs> Hi, Leo! Hi, Leo! Hi! Oh my god, this is so cool to meet you too through Zoom. It's lovely to meet you. How are you today? I'm okay. So, side note, I live in a queer household and two of my roommates have a baby and they signed up for swim classes and I get to like take her and so like it, it just coincided today I was like crap how was swim class uh she hasn't been in a few months so she's like a little over a year now and she hasn't been since she was like seven or eight months and the first like 15 minutes was smooth sailing she was fine she was saying hi and everything and the second was like that's so great <laughs> <laughs> okay I want to hear more about this but first we have to introduce ourselves we like to say our names and our identities and our pronouns so I'll go first I'm Jasmine I identify as queer and I also identify as the bucket and the mob. Beautiful. Oh, and my pronouns are she, her. Uh, my name is Liv. My pronouns are they, them. I'm lesbicious in every aspect of my life. And um, I identify as as this uh, delicious coffee I'm drinking, which is my second of the day. Incredible. Uh, I'm Leo. I am a queer trans guy. I use he, him pronouns. And I, right now, I guess I'm identifying with my little superhero, Superman figurine on my desk. Hi, Superman! Superman. Just, uh... <laughs> I want to see you be Superman or any sort of super anything. I want that so bad. I'm putting that into the world. Thank you. You heard it here first. Let's make him a superhero. We need it. Okay, so back to you living in a queer household. Why are you living so many of our dreams? Uh, great timing. I um, <laughs> I am from Michigan, and I moved out here two years ago when I uh, got the role on the L Word Generation Q. Um, and I uh, we filmed in Culver City, and from Michigan, that meant nothing to me when the producers told me that I need to look for a place near there. But Brian Michael Smith, who is in season one and is also on 911 Lone Star, um, connected me with uh, a friend who they were looking for a housemate. And originally it was temporary, like it was just going to be a couple months. And then I stayed. Oh, what a dream. It's amazing. Are your roommates also in the industry? No, and it's so cool. That's so nice. You get to escape when you go home. It's very grounding. Oh, how incredible. Well, we're very happy you're here. We're both fans. It's so exciting that you're on the new version season reboot of The L Word. Were you a big fan growing up? Um, I was a bit on the younger side of, I think, what the rest of society would consider like an appropriate age. Um, <laughs> I was like 12 when I first uh, found it. Um, and I still, I mean, it still was, I think, young for me developmentally in my identity journey, but I found it on YouTube and very much immediately knew I probably shouldn't have been watching it. <laughs> um, the first character I was introduced through on YouTube was Max. Yeah. Um, and I was very, very intrigued by his storyline. When, when this came around, I was like, this is an oddly full, full circle moment for me. I was thinking about that too, actually, because I read that um, seeing Max on the original L Word was one of the first, if not the first times you had seen a trans man in media and now mm-hmm. it's you now, like now you're doing it. I, th- I just, I think it's so exciting. And I, I wanted to know how you felt about that. Uh, it's unreal. We went to a, um, a viewing party last night for season finale and somebody came up to me and they were like, 
I named myself Mike after your character. <gasps> like I, oh my god! I just like I didn't know what to say because it's it's so much power is the wrong word, but it very much feels like it's a reminder of wow, this means something. Mm. Like responsibility. Responsibility. Yeah. It's powerful. It's powerful. It's inc- it's humbling. It's like wow. Okay, what we wanted to achieve in the sense of people feeling connected is happening. It's 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 a dream, and I'm not convinced. That it's not real. <laughs> <laughs> what do you What do you do with that? What do you do when someone comes up and and gives that information to you? I'm learning. Uh, I don't know yet. Trying to figure out how to hold that in a way that like I can respond beyond just like thanks and like want this person to to understand too how much that means to me. Like Micah means a lot to them, but them watching and them feeling that that connection means the world to me because this isn't just a job. Yeah, and so. I haven't figured it out yet. That's okay. Learning along the way. All of us are. Definitely. So you weren't originally going into acting. You were originally in a social working program? I was. I was. um, I have two moms and they're Mm -hmm. both social workers. And I like my entire life pushed away social work because the story is it just sounded so hard. Right. So emotionally draining. Um, And then I learned that social work isn't only counseling. It's like so many Mm -hmm. There are so many options and I was really, really involved in like community building and community organizing throughout high school and college. And so I really wanted to get like a degree in like macro social work, really focus on more activism and and community building. But I I, uh, deferred for a year. Um, And when I came back, I decided to do clinical because I felt like you can learn activist frameworks and theories in school, but I don't think you can learn how to be an activist Mm. in school. I think yeah. that's on the ground experience. And I was not sure I was going to get that. Whereas clinical, I think you do need to be taught. Maybe you don't know how to taught to be a good counselor, but you're taught it's a lot more streamlined. So I, yeah, I wanted to be a counselor for like queer and trans community organizers. Well, I'd argue that in a way you kind of still are doing <laughs> that social work, even just through your work and these conversations that you're having and will continue to have when people come up to you and tell you these amazing things. You're still an activist. Did um did you have to break to your moms that you were leaving the family business behind? In a way, my mom still sometimes, you know, imagines that I'll take over their counseling business and I'm like, no, I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want, she's like, you can run it from anywhere. You don't have to be back in Michigan. Like, I don't think you understand how much time auditioning takes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a full-time job, mom. <laughs> did you two always want to be actors? I did. Oh yeah. God. I did too. I always wanted to be a performer growing up, but I'm going to say, I've listened to a few of your podcasts and I noticed you do this thing where you start interviewing the interviewers and it's cool, <laughs> but you're not doing that here. This is about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're not going to let you pull that over as he puts his head in his hand. <laughs> You've been caught. It's like a conversation, like creating. No, I know. (laughs) It's beautiful and I love it. And I'm not going to therapize you, but (laughs) you deserve to be celebrated and to have a whole interview just for you. I'm just saying you're pretty incredible. Definitely. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) On on your website, you describe growing up in Michigan being one of the only queer kids in school and also one of the only Asian kids in school. Um, So I was curious, where were the places that you found community and connection to your identity growing up, if any? Yeah. um, I haven't updated my website in so long. I need to definitely change the language of like out queer kid. I think Mm. definitely is important because I had friends who weren't out but queer. (laughs) Oh, totally. Um, 
So my moms were part of this group called the Lesbian Moms Network, which is mm-hmm. LMN. And uh, Amazing. as a kid, I watched a lot of Lifetime. So when Lifetime became LMN, I was very <laughs> confused. Um, and so it was a lot of lesbian moms in Michigan, um, Southeast Michigan, which is where Ipsy is. It's like on the mitten, if it's like a place of the thumb. And so there were a lot of families that were created in different ways. Some were adopted kids. Some were adopted like Chinese kids. But in, in Ipsy... Um, yeah, just, there just weren't a whole lot of not just East Asian kids, but adopted kids and everywhere on, on those margins. And so when I was in middle school, I joined this group called Riot Youth. It was a queer youth support and social justice group. The organization is called the Neutral Zone, mm. and they have different uh, groups where teens really get a chance to kind of be behind the driver's seat. It's team facilitated, teen run. And so this was a space where a ton of queer youth would come together and we'd like chill and we'd like share our stories. And we'd also do like policy work in schools and also like state level. We went to Lansing a couple times. Sick. It was, it was a great opportunity. Uh, and it was a sense of community for a little while. I wasn't, queer didn't feel like the right word at the time. I, I identified like as a straight trans guy. Mm-hmm. And I think Honestly, I'm only now really finding a sense of what community feels like and means. Oddly, during a pandemic where like isolation has been a huge part of it, but I feel like I can be more intentional and I feel like I've grown more into my identities and like the pieces that feel most important to me. Yeah. Um, so that's a long way of saying like, in a way I found community, but not like, not in a way that I saw all of myself um, yes. in, in any of these groups. Will you speak more to that? How you're finding more community now? Where are you finding that community? Um. I am trying to reach out to specifically more like East Asian queer folks and figure out like where's art, not only in the industry, but also like in the industry, because I feel like having not grown up with a ton of East Asian folks, let alone East Asian queer folks, like these shared identities in this world is so helpful to kind of figure out like, are these experiences that I've had so far in my head? I mean, obviously they're not because I'm, I'm feeling them, but like, Mm, yes. Yeah. Big time finding folks who can relate and also like at large, a larger like queer community, like queer people of color, queer and trans people of color out here yes. because there are a lot of us out here. And it's just, I think really about finding the best way of connecting and like the, the easiest way, I guess, like where, where are we? Where is everybody? <laughs> How is, yeah. like, there's clearly some network and I don't know about it just yet, but. Um, yeah, I totally identify. I grew up in Oregon White, white, white Christian place, at least in the 90s, early 2000s. I've been surrounded by white people forever, which means that even coming into my queerness, I came into queer white spaces. And it's taken a lot of intentional networking, building, reaching out courage, in other words, to find the spaces that fully reflect myself. And then I had that community when I first got to LA, but then everyone moved for some reason and I found myself back to square one. I'm glad you brought that up because it's something that we have to be intentional about in a way all Mm -hmm. of the time that I think our queer white counterparts don't quite understand. Because yes, being queer is one of the layers, but then being a person of color is another and being trans is another and all of that on top of each other. It's really hard to find it consistently. So mm-hmm. I I commend you that you continue to look because it's scary. It's it's scary to put yourself out there, but it's so worth it. So for people that are listening, where do you meet new people who fill every box? I haven't found like uh, an organized mailer list or anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm we'll starting um, today. I'm asking around. Um, Marja, our showrunner, has connected me with a few people. I'm kind of like online trying to put out feelers. Like mm-hmm. it's it's hard. Um, it, it really I, I haven't uh, 
I haven't figured out the the most efficient process. Unfortunately, I think a lot of it does come down to connections though. And like, who knows a person who knows a person. Which is cool though. Cause then you're like, oh, if so-and-so says this person is cool, I trust so-and-so. So yeah. Well, I think we should be friends and we can introduce each other Please. to other people of color. <laughs> We're queer. There's, there are like groups specifically for like Asian performers, like there's CAPE. It's primarily Asian artists, but um, even finding within there, like where are like out queer folks who are looking for those connections is still, still kind of hard. I want to talk to you about something, another shared experience that we had, um, which is a bummer, but I think it's worth talking about if you want to. I saw your thread on Twitter about being erased from articles about the L word. Mm. You said some really beautiful things about that. And that happened to me recently too. I was erased from an article about one of my new projects coming out. And the erasure itself is hurtful and problematic. But for me personally, the way that certain networks choose to or choose not to support their talent when they've been erased is what hurts even more. And it's painful because it's just painful, but it's also painful because these networks have a lot of power. And I I think that they forget that, that if they were to have our backs publicly, that would actually affect real change. And I would go so far as to say that in this case, silence is violence. It's keeping us erased, keeping us in the closet, so to speak. And it's very hurtful. And I just want to say that I commend you for speaking about it publicly. And I want you to know that I support you and I see you and I stand with you and I appreciate you talking about it on Twitter. I know it doesn't feel good, but I think we have to talk about it because obviously Mm. no one else is. (laughs) It's not fair that it's our responsibility, but hopefully if we continue to say, hey, you guys, this is fucked up. I'm here. My voice, my presence matters. That that'll have some change. So I don't exactly have a question, but I want to say thank you. (laughs) And if you want to talk about that experience, you can. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to reach out to you too, because I I heard about what happened with you like a little after the ball started rolling. And there there was more than I could have said. And then once I did find out that was happening um, and should have said, and I think- Oh, that's okay. Well, I mean, there is strength in numbers and there's strength Mm -hmm. in, even if we're not co-stars, being employed by the same um, network and and yeah. saying like I see this is happening and this is not being addressed in a way that's constructive or active um, because I, I have also been erased from pieces and I I haven't felt brave enough to and ask. It's, you shouldn't even have to we shouldn't have that's to. the thing we should be able to go to work and work and not be worried about mm-hmm. anything other than our work and that's for me that's one of the most infuriating things is as a queer woman of color when i sign up for a show or a movie or whatever i know and you know we're not just signing up to give our best performance we're signing up also to argue that mm-hmm. our identity matters that our presence matters that my voice matters that what i wear matters that if you have someone who does my hair we are doing so much more than mm-hmm. most of yeah. our counterparts who happen to be straight and white, and then we're branded as problematic or difficult or loud or ungrateful for saying, hi, I would like to just show up and do my job, yeah. please. Yeah. So it's not your fault. Like it's, it's important from the network, but also like, again, people who share a job there, like what does that solidarity look like? And I think like, yeah, for me, like I came into the second season, I don't have a long resume. I haven't been in this business for very long. And I spent the first season so scared of messing up and of, of, doing something that could get me fired. I came back this season like more comfortable, more confident, and also like still trying to figure out where is the line of what I'm allowed to ask for. Right. Yeah. And what am I allowed to say? Um, Which is partly, I think, why I worded my thread about being erased 
the way I did and chose not to call any one publication out. But it sucks when, you know, you're on a show about queer people, which I think mine's slightly different. Right? My show is a, a sequel to a show that has a massive, massive legacy and, and has reached so many people. And, right. like, and it was centered on queer women. How do I hold that and, and respect that and, and remain mindful of that? Uh, and also, and, and that piece of like, this is Generation Q and like, I am a series regular. I'm not a yep. co-star. I'm not a, I'm not just like a also sorry. Like it's your story too. When, when you list the new characters, I, I should be on there. Um, and that's, that's something I've really had to come to terms with of like, it's not me asking for more than what is true. Right. It's not. And it's, and it's a trap. It's a trap, right? Because you risk undeserved consequences for speaking out about it publicly and you carry that risk with you. Mm -hmm. But then also if you say nothing, you lose as well. Like it's, 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 it's not a fair position to be put in. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sorry that that happened to you in such a, in such a public, I mean, all these publications are, are released, but like, yeah, but also it's public. Cause I made it public. That's the thing. You and I handled it completely <laughs> oppositely. You did like a very well-worded, respectful tweet. I went on Instagram and was like, fuck this industry. Like I went crazy. But that was me being careful. But I'm just saying we had opposite approaches and almost the exact same response, which is next to nothing. So that goes to show you that, um, the whole thing is fucked and and I don't have the answer. I will say I appreciated that many of my co-stars, including Liv, reposted what I posted and said, I publicly stand with you. Because at the end of the day, that's one of the only two things I wanted, Mm -hmm. public apology and public support. I appreciated that my cast had my back and I'm glad you and I can talk about it. We are both very grateful for our shows and love our jobs and, and love our characters. But personally, I, it's just part of my activism that I've promised myself with my platform and my position in this industry and my light skin and my beauty privilege and thin privilege and all the privilege that I have. I have to talk about things, but that's just my approach. Everyone's approach is different and I respect all of them. I just happen to, I'm an Aries. Maybe that's why. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you talking about it. Thank of course. You. It's important. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I appreciate you both going there. And I, I love you both. Thank you. Okay, so something a little lighter. <laughs> okay, you love Disney. And I would love to know if you would ever like to play a Disney royal because Ooh. I would like to see that. Why not? Sure. <laughs> what do you love about Disney? I think I, I don't have this like completely like full devotion that I think I've led people to believe. At the end of the day, Disney's a large corporation <laughs> and they for sure commercialize and capitalize on a lot of things that maybe shouldn't be commercialized right, and capitalized right. on. I think there's a sense of magic that they like create, right? That like happy endings are possible. Mm, and mm. in a real life sense though, like if you're not a thin, white, straight, cis person, like obviously happy endings don't happen in the same way, but they're still possible. Yeah. They're still real. We still deserve them. And I think that like if they can maintain that sense of magic and like optimism that I think that they're kind of starting to spread around communities, different communities, then I think that like that's what draws me to it is there's hope and there's God, I don't want to say whimsy, but there's something No, like, say whimsy. I love whimsy. <laughs> <laughs> there's like something whimsical about if we can like take away like the legit Stockholm syndrome of Beauty and the Beast, like the, <laughs> and the fact that these like these humans were turned into furniture, but that they can still have this like light and this like hope. 
Yeah. You know, but <laughs> I don't know. My adult brain doesn't let me look at it the same way. It's the resilience of the human spirit. But also in that castle, they that's that's building a family, right? That's like, yeah. I don't know if I'm mm. talking complete shit, Chosen but I, I think you're onto something. <laughs> okay. So you have, you're the star of a Disney movie. You're a Disney royal. Whatever title you want, walk us through the plot of this movie and your character. Okay. No dead parents. Okay, yes. yes. Love. A family that loves each other and just maybe has disagreements, kind of like Brave. Mm-hmm. And I do think that that formula of an internal struggle, maybe not, not living up to a parent's expectations, can still be there. I want to see either like a, a queer Disney prince, whatever he is, royal, like second in line to the throne, whatever he is. Like he's trying to find mm-hmm. his place in the family, in the institution of the monarchy, <laughs> and in his place in the, whatever land he's in. Um, maybe there's no like romantic love story, but some piece of it has to be about love. And I think maybe chosen family and friendships and you can still find a sense of belonging and connection. I love it. No singing because I cannot sing. <laughs> Is that um, true? Because most people who say they can't sing can sing just oh, fine. Oh. Um, it's true. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Take your word for it. Are there any like superpowers, dragons, oh. things like that? Let's have a dragon or two. Maybe that's his sidekick. Let's chuck him in there. Let's uh, let, let's sprinkle on some how to train your dragon. Maybe that's his like his sidekick and. Oh, can we be like Flotsam and Jetsam type type dragon characters? I don't know who that is. Uh, the the eels in the Little Mermaid. <gasps> yeah, and we talk like this. Hey, hi. Hi. <laughs> hi how are you? Dragon family is possible. Scary dragon. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> That's the. That's it. <laughs> we have too much practice with that. Voice. Yes, we do. <clears throat> um, I have a question. It kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier about like feeling responsibility in your work and in being visible through your work. And uh, this is something I think about a lot, especially when we have conversations about like transness in in media and being in the public eye, like feeling like the responsibility of it or like Mm -hmm. finding our way to being like in charge of the way our stories are told. And like it's, it's all of those things are held in our mind with equal weight all the time. What do you do to relax <laughs> like yes what do you do to make space for yourself like in in that noise just as leo yeah. like at home um i'm currently not working and i watch all three seasons of sex education in four days <laughs> there we go i i i consume media like all the time i'm always i grew up glued to the television i like didn't actually read a book all the way through to like fifth grade i love television and movies in my free time that's what i do um but i've also lately going back to kind of building that sense of community or, or feeling connected to experiences similar to my own, I've started reading a lot more. Hmm. Um, I like read maybe four, five books in the last couple months, um, which is the most oh, I've read sing. since the pandemic. <laughs> and I started writing. Oh, sick. I do hate the arguments in, in response to people who rightfully and understandably critique harmful media. Like, well, why don't you write your own thing? It's like, wow. that's not how this industry works. You don't just write something and people make it. It's no. like about connection it's about name it's about who you know and like i do believe though like if i want to write things that i want to see myself in and maybe someday i I acknowledge like i am in a position where it could be greenlit in some way or at least it could be i could have eyes on it you know Um, yes so i want i'm working on that i'm working on writing about stories that i can relate to and also stories that would be great to stretch my imagination and and yes pilot pilots uh, rom-coms i love rom-coms oh me too i want to do rom-coms we need more queer rom-coms i demand it now <laughs> i am no longer asking <laughs> we need you to deliver this by next friday at okay? yeah let's see what, we'll see what i can do 
Leo's like, oh no, the connection's bad. I can't hear <laughs> I'm curious what success means to you and if you consider yourself successful. I think about this all the time. <laughs> I think about this all the time. I think, I don't know. So I'm 25. I'm like, I always say the butt end of, of millennial, like the cutoff is depends on who you ask. And I feel like that is a very millennial question of like always kind of self-assessing about have I made it? Am I successful? Do I feel like I have enough? And I feel like, I feel like I have had successes. I don't know if successful is like a hard destination. Mm. I wonder if maybe finding successes and things you've done. I'm happy. I'm happy with the things I've done. And I'm proud of the growth I feel has come out of each project. It sounds like you think or like you feel something is missing. Is that true? I don't know. I... (laughs) I think for the problem is I don't know how I measure success. I don't want to measure it only in like job and like things like that. Great, I mean, sure. And you don't have, you can measure it however. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel very fulfilled in my housemates and getting to be like a hands-on uncle, which I don't, I'm an only child. And so this is such a magical experience. And yeah. Um, but a part of me does still feel very, because I'm so new and I want to keep working and I want to tell more stories. I do feel like I haven't fully done maybe enough. You know what? I've had that for a long time. And this year, like in the last six months, I've been asking myself, what the fuck is enough? Because I've always in my head, there's always the thing, Mm -hmm. right? Like in my head, I was like, when I book the movie and I thought that was Scream. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. But then I shoot it and I'm like, well, Mm. okay, but I'm supporting. I'm not like the lead. So that'll be when I, and then when that comes, I'm going to go, well, it was only 96 minutes. It needs to be 112. There's always going to be a next thing. And I've been really working on letting go of that and realizing like, oh, I could walk outside and get hit by a bus. You know what I mean? In the best way. I like, yeah. No, I, yeah. So I need to be present. And what, even so much as last night I'm scrolling on my phone and I'm on Instagram and I didn't really want to be there, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was like, girl, if you're going to be on Instagram, you should be enjoying Instagram. Yeah. If you're yeah. going to be scrolling, you should be scrolling because an hour from now I got to have a heart attack and die. Like every minute should be, yeah. should be feeling good. And I think mastering that or like getting close to mastering peace and joy in the present moment maybe is what success and happiness is i think maybe to some degree for me at least yeah i mean when i was on instagram it was so new like having even like a thousand followers was not something that i ever thought would happen Hmm. like i wasn't doing it for followers my my followers are my friends in high school (laughs) (laughs) and i've noticed the last few days i'm like i'm almost at a hundred thousand followers and like a part of me is excited and I'm like, why? What does it matter? This is a platform where like, yes, you can disseminate information and you can share resources and you can connect with people. But like the things that feel like they really matter are when I'm with my housemates. And again, to like bring it back to the baby, like I think a lot about like how present can I be with her? Yeah. And like, what can I teach her? What can I learn from her and my housemates? And so it's a weird time to be on social media, especially when like the show ramped up for its second season. And then like there's a lot of engagement. And like, I've been telling myself once the finale airs, I'm going to take a break. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I've done, I've done the promoting, I've been engaging, I've been like posting things people want to see. And now I'm like, I need to, for myself, go back to maybe more reading, more writing and just like be present. Come back in. Yeah. Hear that. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the musical Fun Home. Basically, all you need to know for this question is that there's a song in the musical Fun Home where, like, a young lesbian who doesn't know that about herself yet because she's a mm. kid, but uh, sees, like, an older butch woman in a, a diner, I'm pretty sure it is, and and sings this whole song about, like, having this feeling of recognition but not knowing mm. what it is just yet. And um, 
that feeling is something that fascinates me so much that that I definitely have a history with. And I was wondering, did you ever have a moment like that? I don't know if I have. Mm. I don't know if I have. And maybe it goes back to seeing people who only had like one shared identity and never seeing someone who I really saw all of myself in. I don't think so. I think the plus side of you saying you didn't have that moment though, to find a positive side is because you grew up with two moms. And so I'm assuming Mm -hmm. that you also grew up around other queer people. There were pieces of your identity that you were seeing that Mm -hmm. a lot of us maybe didn't have growing up because I grew up not in that environment. (laughs) Sure. And so that's kind of cool. That's a great way to look at it, actually. You know, because it was already so open and like that was just a part of everyday life for me. Like I didn't have to necessarily feel like there was something in that way missing, though obviously later, <laughs> later in life for sure. But, but initially, yeah, I don't, I am. Um... Liv, what is your ring of keys moment? I don't know. I, you know, I've, we, we ask guests that and it's a question I'm always really interested in the answer to, but I, I would have to really think about it. I was thinking about mine the other day because mm. I mm. couldn't remember when I was like eight or nine, maybe younger, I was in the Oregon children's choir, a very big deal to be in. You had to audition. I was in since I was five. <laughs> And one of my friends, her dad always dropped her off. And so the last time I saw her, it was at the end of the year, third grade or whatever. And now it's the first day, let's say, of fourth grade Oregon Children's Choir practice. And the person who was driving me was like, oh my gosh, I forgot to tell you, this girl's dad is now this girl's mom, but didn't explain to me what that meant exactly. And then she got out of the car to tell someone else. She just forgot to let everyone know and didn't want it to be awkward or weird, wanted her to feel welcome and normal when she arrived. And when I saw her, she was the most beautiful woman I had ever seen. And I didn't talk about transness or gayness or anything in my house before that age because I was raised so Christian. But I just, my heart swelled so big Mm. and I didn't understand why I was so drawn to her. I just wanted to be around her. And she started coming around a lot more and hanging Mm. out for choir and like bringing snacks and talking to the kids, I think because she was more comfortable in who she was. And this was a huge deal, you guys, in the 90s in Springfield, Oregon, huge deal. And I, I just was so drawn to her and didn't know why and didn't really think about it until I saw her like a year and a half ago at this Christmas fair back in my town. And it was just like, thank you. Thank you for being yourself yeah. and doing that way back then when no one else was. I didn't know how much it meant to me until now. So I think that was my ring of keys. Oh, that's amazing. I'm so, so glad you brought that up. Yeah. So thanks for coming up with that question, Liv. Oh, I love it. You know, actually, I'm remembering this. Uh, one of my roommates is non-binary and um, they are so cool. And I remember we were on a walk with the baby. And I remember saying to them, like, I really wish I knew you when I was younger <gasps> because I would have really like appreciated you. That's a beautiful thing to say. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm still blown away by their coolness. Now they're like a cool, like non-binary parent, right? Like that's the dream right there. <laughs> <laughs> and I just like, I did feel drawn to them in a sense of like, I started dressing more masculinely when I was like, so I can, I, I cut my, I chopped it all off. I had like one of those like quintessential Asian haircuts. It was a bowl cut and a very bad one. Um, <laughs> and third grade, I started dressing more masculinely. I didn't grow my hair back all the way. Like I used to have like shoulder length, long black hair. I kind of, it was like a, a bob. And I started wearing like, there was, um, it was sort of like Salvation Army, but even less nice growing up. And I bought for like a dollar, a button down shirt. And it was red and had flames from the boys section. Yes. <laughs> and that's when it all started. That's when I started 
expressing more masculinely. So it started when I was young and, and I wasn't, my moms were really great and, and let me wear that. But there was another guardian in my life who like, not at all, like couldn't even wear like boy socks, the white socks with the gray on the bottom to the feet. Like that just, she wouldn't let that happen. And I just like, I, I was getting such mixed signals and I, and I think I was realizing like, if I had had somebody stable in my life who was like my roommate, it would have been so different. So it was more like a, in retrospect, that would, that was probably like yeah. what that would have been. Yeah, for I'm sure. I'm grateful you have that now. And your being you out in public and on TV is creating the space for other people to have that in the future. So thank you. Thank you for sharing. Okay, we're going to play a game. Okay. We're going to play How Gay Is It? <laughs> I'm going to say a thing, and you guys are going to tell me how gay it is. Ooh. Are you ready? Yes. Let's do it. Three, two, one. Leo, the L word. <laughs> gay. Gay. Liv, how gay is Holland Taylor? Oh, well, I mean, I I, I I wouldn't presume to know the inner workings of Ms. Taylor, but like <laughs> aspirationally, I would love to say 100%. 100%. Yeah. Okay. Leo, give me a percentage. How gay is it when Gen Z retires from social media? <laughs> 20%? Okay. Liv, vaping. <laughs> oh, like 47. Both of you, pink toothbrushes. 69. 30. Liv, dystopian novels. Oh, man, like 84. Leo, songs in the key of B-flat minor. That includes Umbrella by Rihanna, Burn by Ellie Goulding. 85. <laughs> Both of you, Applesauce. 40. 70? <laughs> Liv, Toxic by Britney Spears. 97. Leo, the brand Lady Boxers. 100? I, okay, the girl on Lady Boxers brand, like ads, she's so hot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Liv, Smart Water. Oh, Smart Water, like 24. Both of you, a lady not shaving her armpits. 50. 100. <laughs> Leo, I kissed a girl by Katy Perry. 40. Liv, green couches. I'm looking at my green couch across the room right now, and I'm going to say Wait, 99. No, I, I'm dead serious. It's green and it's velvet, and she's beautiful. <laughs> That's I love incredible. That. I love that. Both of you, how gay is it to abolish the police? Gay? I mean, 100%, baby. It's pretty gay, but I don't know. I It is gay because I said it's gay. Yeah. And lastly, everybody, what are you going to do this week to further the gay agenda? This interview. I love that answer. You're the first person to say that. Yeah, so. but I love Thank it. <laughs> yeah, let's. I'm gonna after this, I'll I'll have a mimosa at some point this week and celebrate our good work mm. here. Oh, amazing! What am I gonna do? You know what? I'm gonna keep seeing a bunch of Broadway. That's pretty Ooh. darn gay. Saw Hades Town yesterday. Oh Passover. Oh. Very very gay. So. Oh, Leo, thank you so much. I'm snapping because I'm thank holding you, my mic. Leo. Thank you. This was so fun. Lovely having you. Oh my gosh, and I'm fans of you both just saying like, it's very mutual thank you so much for coming and talking to us <laughs> i'm blushing <laughs> <laughs> after every interview there is still so much more for us to read and learn and talk about so we have citations to share with you so leo grew up in michigan being one of the only out queer kids and one of the only asian kids at his school and he was explaining to us the areas where he was able to find community and representation and uh we have a link here to an article called in hollywood asian american stories are rare but asian american lgbtq stories are even rarer it's by lakshmi gandhi for nbc news and this quote while fans often pay the most attention to the talent and lines that are delivered in front of the camera it's just as important to promote diverse voices behind the scenes to ensure that asian american queer stories are being told in ways that are culturally accurate, which is true. And yeah. I think this article is fucking cool. Awesome. 
During the episode, Leo talked about his background working in a social work program before he got into acting. Leo has two moms, which is still just so cool. And they worked in that industry. And he shares what he learned working in that space during high school and college. So here is the article. It's called, During the 1970s, social workers began placing LGBTQ youth with queer foster families by Matt Katz for WNYC's The Takeaway. This was an audio episode from 2021. Here's a quote. This seemed so radical and so subversive and so amazing on the part of the Department of Social Services that we felt compelled to answer their request in the affirmative. You can find a link to that audio interview in the show notes, and we'll also include a link to Leo's Twitter thread in the description. This has been the Homo Schedule. I'm Jasmine Savoy Brown, your host, producer, and creator of the show. And I'm Liv Hewson, your host and producer. The Homo Schedule is produced by Multitude for Netflix. Our lead producer is Eric Silver. Our engineer and editor is Misha Stanton. And our executive producer is Amanda McLaughlin. Be sure to follow Most, Netflix's home for LGBTQ plus storytelling on Twitter and Instagram at Most. And the best way to help us keep advancing the gay agenda is to tell a friend about the show. So post about us on socials. Or text someone a link to your favorite episode. We'll see you next week. This meeting has been adjourned. 